Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for bringing us together as you have to study your Word. I pray as always that I'd not get in the way of what you planned to say, but that you would speak to the glory of Christ's name. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you're anything like me, you may have had some tough things to deal with in the last few years. Our circumstances may be different. Some of us may have lost a loved one. Others know the pain of divorce or marital unfaithfulness or the heartbreak of raising wayward children. Perhaps you're exhausted from financial struggles or from dealing with sickness or the care of aging parents. Some of you may have lost your home, your livelihood, as well as the future you'd anticipated and planned for. Our trials may be many and they may be varied, but just as surely as winter follows summer, they come to all of us one way or another. And when they do, we can find ourselves lost and bewildered, full of hurt and pain. We're desperate for some word of encouragement and hope, but where do we find that? I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had unexpectedly lost a loved one to cancer. Though she knew she could find help in God's Word and had in fact read and studied many books of the Bible, she said she'd never cared much for the book of Psalms in Scripture. But in the shock and grief of her loss, longing to hear some voice of encouragement and hope, she began to read them. And though she remembers it as one of the worst of times, she also remembers how God comforted her and led her through the very words she had once avoided. And today, she counts Psalms as one of her favourite books of Scripture. I think many of us can identify with her story, can't we? Whether the Psalms are already a great source of hope and strength to you, or whether you're still to discover their riches, we all need to become as familiar with them as we can, and make them our own. The book of Psalms is in essence a collection of 150 poems and prayers that have been set to music from different times in Israel's history. Written by many different authors, they were used by the whole community of God's people to worship the Lord from the very early Old Testament times. Even Moses had a psalm that was credited to him. At least 73 of them, however, are attributed to King David, who, not surprisingly, was also a renowned poet and harp player. Then, when Israel returned from exile in Babylon, these songs were brought together into the book of Psalms, and while they were arranged in such a way as to create a book with a very specific design and message of God's faithfulness, Our purpose in this study will not be as much about understanding the book as a whole as it is about gleaning hope from some individual psalms. And that's why I've entitled our study, Words of Hope, God's Voice to You in the Psalms. 
We're going to begin our study today with two psalms written by someone who loved the Lord but who often struggled to understand him, David, king of Israel. David was the weakest in his family, the youngest of several brothers, and so was banished to the unwanted task of taking care of the family sheep. God sent the prophet Samuel to secretly anoint him as king over Israel while King Saul was still on the throne. And though David was prepared to wait his turn, he came to Saul's notice when he put the king's soldiers to shame by killing the giant Goliath with one well-placed stone from a handmade sling. He became a part of Saul's household and a trusted leader in the army. Saul soon grew jealous of David's success in battle and his popularity with the people, and he even tried to kill him on several occasions. Unwilling to raise a hand against the king, David spent a considerable time on the run from Saul's rages, hiding in caves and neighboring towns. Through no fault of his own, he endured a level of persecution that must have made him question many things. What was God doing? Was he really paying attention to David's plight? Did he know what David was going through? But the Psalms David wrote show us that instead of turning away from the Lord, he brought even his most troublesome questions before him, and in doing so, David came to know things about God he would not have learned any other way. Though he eventually came to the throne and had great success as a king, David, if you will recall, became an adulterer and even a murderer. He experienced the rebellion of his children and was at one point a fugitive from his elder son. Yet in another place, God described him as a man after my own heart. So I think it's fair to say then that David must have struggled with some things along the way that might be helpful to us today, right? So let's look at our first psalm, widely held to be one of the greatest ever written, and that psalm is 139. We don't know when David wrote it. Perhaps some of these thoughts came from when he was a shepherd, but it certainly reflects a lifetime of longing after God and of coming to know him in a very deep way. He begins by speaking directly to God in verse 1, saying, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The first words of this psalm are almost breathtaking in what they express. Lord, you know me. You know me, David. Nothing about me is hidden from you. You have examined me through and through. Then David calls up some examples to try to encompass what that means. And he says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. In other words, God is aware of the lives we lead. He sees everything we do, even the simple things like sitting down, getting up, 
going in and out through our days. He knows what we do, but he also knows our thoughts and our ways, unique and different as they all are. He is aware of our personalities and our temperaments, our strengths and our weaknesses. He even knows the words we speak before we say them. And don't we see that in the gospel accounts of Jesus? Many times he knew what people were thinking without them ever having to open their mouths. As if it isn't enough, in verse 5, David adds, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Really, we can't escape God. He is all around us. He goes ahead of us and has our back, so to speak. His hand covers us. Many interpret this as his hand of blessing upon us, leading us, protecting us, and keeping us on the right path. And then David seems to stop himself in verse 6 to confess, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And quite honestly, I share in his amazement. The God of the universe watches over each of us with the intimate love of a bridegroom watching over his beloved, no matter where we are. David continues in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. David knew all about hiding, but he had come to realize that he could not hide from God. Look at all his if statements here. If he went up to heaven, if he made his bed in the depths of hell, if he could move like the rays of light or tuck himself away in the remotest of places, if he could do all these impossible things, it wouldn't make any difference. For he says to the Lord, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. There was no place he could go where God was not. Did you hear that? Because it's true for us as well. There is no place that we can go where God is not. Wherever we turn, God will be waiting, not to condemn us or to destroy us, but to guide us and to hold us close to his side. And just to leave no possibility uncovered, David mentions another if, another situation that we might think might hide us from God. In verse 11, he writes, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David had experienced a lot of darkness in his life, both physical darkness in the cave and the spiritual darkness of the soul when he felt abandoned and alone. But he had learned that even the worst darkness doesn't shut out God or hide us from him, because it isn't dark to him. The Lord is light. He brings light, and he will not leave us in the shadows. 
Let's read on in verses 13 to 16. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I can imagine David as a young boy looking at the night sky and pondering the same question we've all asked at some point in our lives. Who am I and why am I here? And the answer he finally came to is this. I am here because of you, God. You created me. You brought me into being. He pictured the Lord seeing him fully formed from the beginning and knitting his body together in his mother's womb. And apparently David thought he was a pretty amazing piece of work because he confessed that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. How do we even begin to talk about how fearfully and wonderfully we are made? Thousands of books have been written exploring the wonders of the human body and the more we learn, the more amazing we realize that it is, pointing to the designer behind it all. These particular verses remind us of something beautiful, something important, in fact, something vital in this day of complete chaos regarding our human identity. We are not random accidents of chemistry or of any human agency, kind-hearted or evil. We are not creatures of our own design or our own making. We are creations of a loving God who wanted us and who brought us into being so that we might find life and meaning in him. I am as overwhelmed with this truth as David seemed to be in verses 17 to 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How do we measure the love and concern God has for each one of us? <laughs> we can't. God used one of these verses to give me hope in a very dark time of my life several years ago when I faced a serious health issue. My doctor put me on a new medication, but I reacted to it very badly and developed two blood clots in my leg. Because my symptoms were unusual, the doctors misdiagnosed me twice, even though I complained I was struggling to breathe. This went on for eight days until a different specialist ordered a scan of my chest. I realized I was in trouble when the doctor himself came into the room to tell me what they'd found. The blood clots from my leg had traveled to my lungs and had caused multiple pulmonary embolisms or blockages, which were preventing blood from flowing properly through my lungs. He said that my lungs were so compromised they might shut down at any moment. And if that happened, he said, they would not be able to start them again. I would die. 
Though the hospital's emergency room was less than a minute away, I was taken there in an ambulance because I needed constant medical attention just to get me there safely. And the first thing they had me do when I arrived was to document my end-of-life decisions. It was pretty clear that they did not expect me to survive. Of course, my mind went to my husband and two children. I thought that if I died, he probably would be all right, but I was especially worried about my two young kids. And so I prayed, Lord, please help me. I don't want to die. Immediately, a thought came strongly to my mind. Michelle, just because you've heard the prognosis from the doctors, it doesn't mean that you have one day less than you ever did have. And I remembered Psalm 139 verse 16. For all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I felt great peace knowing that my life was in God's hands, just as it always had been. One of the specialists later came to see me in hospital and assured me that God must still want me here because no one had thought that I would make it. You know, I'm so grateful for Psalm 139 and the hope it brought me at that dark time. But I understand that not everyone welcomes the idea of an all-knowing, all-encompassing God being known so thoroughly and watched over so carefully can sound rather uncomfortable or even threatening, especially in this day of independence and self-actualization. After all, many people would ask, who has the right to tell me who I am and how I need to live, right? What enabled David to welcome this kind of knowledge this kind of presence in his life. Well, I think it was what he'd learned about God who had watched over him from his youth. He learned that he could trust him. And he wrote a beautiful meditation about that God in the second psalm we're going to look at today, and that's Psalm 23. Most sermons I've heard on Psalm 23 talk about the sheep, but the more I look at it, the more I realize that it's really about the shepherd. You'll remember that David was a shepherd from the time he was a boy. Young as he was, he had sole responsibility for the family sheep. He had to find food for them to eat, water to drink, and safe places to sleep. He had to sleep with them and guard them through the night and had even killed a lion and a bear that had tried to attack the sheep and carry them off. He had to chase the sheep down when they wandered away and rescue them when they got stuck in rocks or mud. He had to inspect their coats for wounds and place healing balms on them. It was a lonely, thankless job in many ways, but it did have its compensations. There was time to practice music and perfect his slingshot skills. And the sheep weren't all that bad, really. A good shepherd would come to know his sheep by name and be familiar with their personalities and characteristics. And in turn, they would follow his voice and offer him what passed for obedience in the sheep world. There was a real bond between the shepherd and his flock. 
Many believe that Psalm 23 was written later in David's life as he reflected back on everything he'd been through and I imagine all of those early experiences were in David's mind as he thought about this God he had followed all of his life. Who was he actually? Was he an authoritarian bully, a demanding dictator out to make his followers miserable? Well, let's think about what David wrote. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What it must have meant to David to realize that he himself had a shepherd, someone who cared for him in the same way he'd learned to care for the family sheep. And his shepherd was the Lord, the one who knew all about him and loved him anyway. It was a settled thing in his heart. Because the Lord was his shepherd, he had everything he would ever need. Then he began to recount just what this shepherd did for him in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. The good shepherd would never drag his sheep from one patch of scrubby grass to another. He would never lead them to water that was impossible to drink from. He would make sure that they were at peace and provided for. He goes on to say, He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Sheep are notoriously unintelligent, and they can't really find their own way anywhere. They become frantic without a guide, and so the shepherd chooses the way. He knows the best paths, the right paths, and takes the sheep along them because that is who he is and what he does. Thinking back over the ever-present dangers he'd faced, David addresses his shepherd directly in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David must have navigated many a deep valley with his sheep, and he remembered how his presence calmed them and how he used his shepherd's staff to both guide and protect them. His good shepherd would do the same for him. I've thought about this particular verse long and hard over the years, and what really stands out to me is David's use of the word shadow. He calls the place of danger the valley of the shadow of death. Think about a shadow for a moment. A shadow cannot really hurt you. True, it has the power to chill your bones and cloud your vision, but in truth it lacks the substance to have any lasting effect on you. And I love that David says we walk through the valley. We don't camp there. Then David speaks of the good shepherd as a gracious host in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord receives his guests with honor and abundance, even in the midst of strife and trouble. 
He pours out goodness and love on them and then welcomes them into his home forever. What a hope. Do you see how Psalm 139 and Psalm 23 both picture the God who knows all about us and who loves and cares for us in everything? The God we can trust because he is good and keeps his word. No matter what you're facing at the moment or what looms in your future, take these two psalms into your heart. Embrace the truth that you are God's special creation, that he knows all about you and that he surrounds you with his love. Draw close to the shepherd who provides all that you will need and who will lead you where you need to go. Turn to him, trust him, for he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much, Lord, that there's no place that we can go where you are not. You are there in every circumstance, not only to draw us to yourself, but to hold us close to your side, to guide us down the paths that we are to travel. Lord, I thank you that shadows cannot hurt us. And Lord, we know that we don't have to camp in the valleys You are leading us on to that higher ridge. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you for providing everything we need, for seeing us and knowing us as a bridegroom knows his beloved. We just thank you, Lord God, and ask that we would serve you with every fibre of our being and that we would bring you glory in all things. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you'll join me next time because we're going to be looking at a psalm you won't want to miss. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.